0: page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day.
1: I'm James.
2: And I'm
0: Meeks. And today we are analyzing Chapter 8, The Death Day Party. And this does not have a movie counterpart. So we're going to do things a little differently today. Um, first, a little disclaimer. We know that there's about two pages of this chapter that does appear in the film, but we're going to talk about that next week when we're talking about the writing on the wall. Today, we're going to kind of start with our priority peeve and salute and get let that sort of guide the conversation as we talk about what a tragedy it is that this death day party is cut from the film's. Before we start gabbing, however, we want to give you a spoiler warning. As always, we will be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So you've been warned, Ickle firsties. Before we start, a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to
3: wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a BlendJet 2 portable blender today.
1: Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the BlendJet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient.
0: BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit
3: and lacewing flies with ease. Blendjet 2 is Whisper Quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room.
1: Lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go.
0: I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo.
3: Yes, Yeah, and I want a blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, super important. It's got to match the kitchen counters.
3: It's nice and convenient if that can happen.
0: Black goes with anything, so I think I'm good. Yeah, it's true. Well, what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and two free day shipping.
3: No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back.
1: Blend anytime. Anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever.
0: Welcome back, listeners. Let's start with, I forgot to mention also a small change is we're not doing our peeves pleasure since we don't have anything to compare. We're doing our peeves priority. So this is what we want. One thing from this chapter we absolutely have to see in the show. So James, what was your peeves priority for this chapter?
1: All right. Peeves priority. Well, so you kind of threw this new thing at us, like, out of nowhere. I wasn't really, didn't really have one prepared. I had a piece of pleasure, which was, I loved the the basilisk voice. That was one of my favorite things about the adaptation. Just sounds so menacing and scary. That's great. Um, <laughs> but other than that, uh, what would I want prioritize from what we did not get from this chapter. Uh, I think introducing Moni Myrtle would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, not introducing her in the bathroom. Cause you think about that. It's a little weird, but introducing her in this environment with all these ghosts and stuff like that. It was just a natural way of introducing this character who play ends up playing like a bigger role than we figure out. It's just kind of like one of those things where you might look at them be like, this doesn't feel like an important character, but then it ends up being an important character, mm-hmm. uh, which I kind of love that. Uh, love that idea of bringing her in and, uh, and having her uh, be introduced by Hermione and Hermione knowing all about her. But then like, n- n- you know, being like the first little introduction of seeing like what she's like and, and, and all that stuff. But I think just uh, having an introduction to Moaning Myrtle earlier than what she was introduced from the movie would be great. Definitely. I
2: like it.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a really great way to introduce Myrtle as opposed to what we see in the film my priority
2: other than well including the whole death day party obviously um having a montage of life at hogwarts because Mm -hmm. they're in classes and it it, you know it's talking about how fall is now or autumn is now at hogwarts and so hagrid's garden um which we don't really see a lot of they'll do glimpses of it when they do like a a shot of his hut in the movie but they don't really showcase anything that's in there but he's got to have such interesting things growing and stuff and um Mm -hmm. and uh like the all the kids getting colds and so madame pomfrey has to give them pepper (laughs) up potions (laughs) you know just little (laughs) things like that i feel like go a long way when they can be included
0: So it's funny that you mentioned that because I am a fall and autumn allergy person. I always get the allergies and colds in the fall. So I can really relate to those students.
2: I want a pepper (laughs) potion. Yeah. Right. I think we all need one.
0: (laughs) I, that's one thing that I am really excited. I mean, we all say, say that every episode. That's one thing I'm always really excited about, but, um, the show being able to offer these snake peeks or looks into a day in the life throughout the year and really being able to do that world building that we're always talking about. And, you know, it's just going to be so cool. My priority is the headless hunt and how that sort of ties a string from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter. And I want to see the conversation between Nick and Harry when he gets the invitation to the Headless Hunt and how upset he is that he's never able to do it. And then I want to see that pompous ghost at the death day party talking about how, you know, little Nick always wants to join the Headless Hunt, but, you know, his head's still attached.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely want to see that whole thing. I I like the way that you described that where it's it ties the whole chapter together. It's not just like one scene at the party. It's the whole, it's, you know, it shows a little bit of Harry and Nick's relationship as well. Not that they have a strong bond, but he does show up throughout the whole series. And so I like how much much it stands the whole chapter. Yeah.
1: So it's funny thing that you bring up that, because one of the things I wanted to talk about was, the idea of ghosts in the Harry Potter worlds to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very interesting to read about the idea of a death day party and the idea of these ghosts who are still here. And, uh, and I am, I'm under the impression that most of these ghosts were magical at some point. Right. So we, we have, you know, we have all kinds of people, we have three nuns, apparently an old man with a cane and, uh, you know, sir, Patrick, the guy who's beheaded the, the headless people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just brought to my attention the idea of, of ghosts. Cause I believe it says somewhere that they are, they are here because they have unfinished business. Uh, And there was uh, an interview by J.K. Rowling at some point, somewhere, according to the uh, companion guide, there was an interview by J.K. Rowling saying that no happy ghosts exist. There's only sad ones. Hmm. So your your unfinished business makes you feel so sad and guilty that you don't want to leave. Which not only really kind of expounds on the 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 relationship between the bloody baron and the gray lady which yeah kind of like compounds that full full fold but it it shows you that everybody who is a ghost at this party has some type of thing that they are super ashamed of or super guilty of or that just Mm. makes them downright sad but yet they aren't uh they aren't showing that they aren't uh they they aren't focusing on that uh they they're trying to find ways to deal with this situation instead of maybe dealing with the thing that's holding them here so they're they're ghosts that are running away from their problems essentially eternally uh and it's funny because she she writes about a ghost that tries to get that feeling of tasting food again, you know, the rotten food and stuff, and he's going through and he tries to eat it. And he's just like, does that work? Like, can you taste it if you do that? And he's like, almost. But he really wants to. And he's like, he's saddened by that thought that he can no longer have that. And yet he's still trying to do it. And I feel like the Headless Hunt is a very huge oxymoron. Where it's these guys who are trying to bring joy and laughter to all these ghosts, uh, but they're all here because they did something that they were either ashamed of or sad of, or or didn't get to do, or disappointment or whatever the case may be. They're here for a reason. They have unfinished business, yet they're trying to hide it so much that they're they're doing things that are joyful, like playing games and having you know laughter and making jokes, and it just makes me feel way more sympath- like sympathetic towards nearly headless Nick, who who kind of feels like he's accepted his role in life and accepted where where he's come from. But then you have that Sir Patrick, who's like the complete opposite, who is trying to feign joy and feign that he's got all these things, but he really doesn't. Because mm-hmm. if he did, and if he was, and he wouldn't be here.
0: It's... That's really fascinating. And you said something at one point and it made me think of depression. And I know that she said that the Dementors kind of personified depression, but I think in a way the ghosts do too, because a lot of, you know, people, it, it's changed recently with ending the stigma um, hashtag and the stigma, but um, you know, a, a lot of mental health problems had a stigma attached to them, so you would always, you know quote, put on that mask and pretend to be happy and not, you know, solving now that de- not that depression is a problem that you can solve necessarily um, in a lot of cases, but um, it's just interesting how diverse the what she writes how many ways I mean we talked about this once with Harry we all had a different perspective on Harry at one point Um, so it's just (laughs) really cool how you know there's so many meanings to be found in her writing yeah well next would be the peeve's peeve so James do you have a peeve's peeve
1: my peeve's peeve is it lame of me to say the death day party?
0: <laughs> Not at all.
1: <laughs> it, it's the death day party. I would like to see that just in general. I just want to see it. I've always read about it and I've never gotten to see it. So I'll just yeah. say one, one of those things that you can definitely add in that I feel like would just be enjoyable. And it's like a cute Halloween episode. mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just is like it goes into a little bit of halloween it's all about ghosts you can explore the world of ghosts a little bit apparently ghosts turn fire blue which i didn't know but when ghosts are nearby fire they turn that they turn the fire blue which is why they had all that blue fire down in the dungeons when they were walking through it and so i was just like that's kind of cool. Those would be little like neat things to like put into the Halloween episode right before you reveal this gigantic thing at the very end of the chapter. So it's just like a great cliffhanger part of the episode that just fits the whole entire theme. And I think it needs to be part of the series.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) It's just a great fun, you know, not necessarily a day in the life of Hogwarts but life at Hogwarts like the ghosts are there and this is the type of thing that happens right. behind closed doors
2: <laughs> yeah I um I mean obviously the death day party but I my my peeve is that they kept out the um learning about uh, Filch being a squib I think that that is such a big thing even though it doesn't like change the course of i mean none of none of what we're talking about i guess in this chapter like changes the course of the rest of the plot but um that's a big deal for for that to be found out i mean being a squib that's I, you know you could argue that that's so similar to like what people who are in some minority minority feel like are people who are oppressed and like the obviously nobody likes filch because he's bad-tempered and he's mean but like thinking about how he must have grown up um it, it makes it more um it gives it it gives him more of an explanation as to why he might be so bad tempered in the way that he is um mm-hmm. and it's I think it's really important for Harry as a 12 year old to learn something like that because even though it there's not like major discussions going on about um you know harry being compassionate towards filch because of it there's definitely you you can tell as the reader that he does have compassion for filch and he changes how he views filch for a little bit or at least in his mind like a little bit of that shit a shift happens for him and he becomes more understanding which is the whole point of this entire series is learning about people who are outcasts and um what they might have to go through and Having compassion for people who are struggling or or are different than you know whatever the stereotype is, and um, and I think that it well it shows in in little ways too where Harry. W- would like hold back maybe from saying something about Filch or just, you can just tell as a reader that there's like moments in his mind where he kind of takes a pause and he wouldn't have done that if he didn't learn this information. So I think it's really important to leave stuff like this. in. so hopefully they keep it in for the TV show.
1: That brings two things to mind for me. One, I want to see a full fledged infomercial. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, for
1: this company, because obviously that's like the way that they're playing, it, playing it and describing it as as she was describing an infomercial, yeah, uh, trying to sell you this cool little product, uh, and I'm guessing this company that is selling this stuff, whether it really works or not is debatable. I'm sure, but it like. What else are they endorsing? What else are they making? Is, a, is it like this big, is it a big mega corporation? Like I want to see the, the wizarding world deal with that a little bit. Um, maybe that would be kind of yeah. funny, but it brought the question of what happens to those who fail school? What happens to the people that don't make it uh, through the entire Hogwarts uh it, you know process like when they fail exams and stuff and what happens to them? What what do they do? Like I, I want to know that. I want to know like the idea of the the you know the idea of this world and, and how it handles those kind of situations because obviously not everybody's going to be able to do it. Not everybody passes these things. I'm sure there are some people that are just not talented enough to master a branch of magic to make a living off of do they you know hagrid obviously gets expelled and gets his wand broken Do people who fail hogwarts or fail a school with wherever in the world have their magic taken away and now they have to live in a world of magic without being able to do magic yeah Yeah. like what like that's like the kinds of questions that I'm kind of like. I want more of that. I want to be able yeah. to explore that a little bit, and and it would it dev- it would develop way more opportunities to tell stories, uh, not just about Harry Potter and the people he knows, but just about these random people living in this world.
0: It's yeah, a really interesting thought. Yeah. Something else about um, that whole scene is that um, Nick and Peeves kind of save the day there. Um, And this is actually my Peeves, Peeves, is that Peeves is cut from not only this Mm -hmm. chapter, but the entire series. But I wrote that down too. (laughs) You know, during this scene... Um, Filch catches Harry dragging the mud in, and he had already been talking to Nick about the invitation to the the uh, headless hunt. And so Nick goes and finds Peeves and has him uh, push – he causes a ruckus upstairs above Filch's office. And so that distracts Filch. And then that's when Harry finds the quick spell, quick – Quill spell? What Quick Spell?
1: Quicko spell or quirker spell or something like that.
0: Anyway, the infomercial. (laughs) That's when he finds the infomercial. And then Filch comes back and um it's just so fun to go through the series and be like, oh, there's peeves.
2: Yeah.
1: He had a pretty decent role in this chapter too. Not only does he break the vanishing cabinet which <coughs> plays a very big important role later. Mm-hmm. Uh but like he he's obviously like having he he's doing stuff at the death day party too and he introduces us to Moaning Myrtle and these uh and he's going around eating rotten peanuts and offering them to the little students because he thinks it's hilarious and it's just like mm-hmm. I, this is like he has that type of vibe and humor that we're just missing from mm-hmm. from the movies. And we totally yeah. want that. And it would just be very sad for him to not make it to the TV show. So he has There's to. There's
0: no way that they're going to cut peeps out of the show. We and all of our listeners will definitely riot if that's the case. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think that they know now <laughs> that that mm. would not fly. <laughs>
1: it would not, but justice
0: for thieves. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, James, what is your Weasley salute, or is, are there anything else you guys want to talk about the chapter and end with our Weasley salutes like normal?
1: So, I had one thing for sure, uh, but I want to see if you guys had something before I went into it. I have Maybe
0: lightning f- round.
2: Well, no, it's just small, Um, just Filch's office. I think that's another thing that is very small, but why not show it? You know, why not? Like, it just gives so much more, it's just character building for everybody mm-hmm. um, and world building to see even a scene in Filch's office because we don't see that at all in the films. Um, And so I think that and... We, I mean, I feel like we could go on and on about the death day party, about details about that, but um, yeah. But um, yeah, I think that that's it for my last little thing. The my or my last thing will be my salute.
1: Uh, okay. So, the thing I wanted to bring up was uh, a very interesting hindsight that kind of came with like the ghost thing a little bit, uh, but it was more about how impressed I was with how thorough JK Rowling went into the history of the world and like how we have these, we know like you play the games, you get these wizard and witches cards about the these, cho- the, these, uh, the chocolate frog cards, I mm-hmm. forget what it's called, but like they have like all these famous witches and wizards on them and like how they, like these are a lot of official cards that are in universe and actually real and, and all of this stuff, and we get like Bathilda Bagshot, who created a history of magic, and uh, we talk about goblin rebellions, and we talk about uh, the uh, the the witch executions, and um, Wendelin the Weird. I always remember that one for some reason. <laughs> uh, but it, the like, it's just impressive how deep the history goes and you get all of these ghosts who are from that history showing that, you know, they've been here for a long, long, long time, but it made me think, and there was a passage in the companion guide that talked about it a little bit. That's the whole history of what they've experienced is why we're here in the first place. Uh, not necessarily with just this book, but like why Voldemort does what he does, why Lucius Malfoy is so proud to be a pureblood. All this stuff about being a pure wizard started because of a division between muggles and wizards and muggles hunting the wizards and witches uh, of the time and doing like the witch burnings and executions and, and all this stuff. So they, cr- they created this divide where they had to survive. I'm sure that was probably not a fun time to live in. And, you know, as time passed, they probably, you know, got a little, you know, muggles got a little bit more, didn't believe in magic. So they got a little bit more tempered and they weren't as scary to be around. And so it made it a little bit easier. But now you have generations of families who, fought to survive and fought to keep the magic alive uh, within themselves and segregated themselves from the muggle world. And now you have these families who are pure blooded, pure blooded purists. Uh, I don't know how to say that necessarily, but you have all these people who, who are basically wizard supremacy. They, Mm -hmm. they, they believe themselves to be, the mightiest of the might, and those who associate with muggles or muggle borns are betraying the thing that they fought so hard to keep alive. But it's funny because I think Ron eventually says somewhere, and I don't I think it was in this book or something, if wizards hadn't begun to marry muggles, the race would have died out. Mm-hmm. Uh which is kind of a very interesting, like little different viewpoint and all that stuff. But I thought what was very interesting was it was this innate fear that started the Chamber of Secrets to begin with. Uh, Where Salazar Slytherin was probably going off this basis uh, because at the time when they founded Hogwarts, the executions and the hunting of wizards from the Muggles were very high and very prominent in the history of this world. So to have non-magic folk or to have muggle borns come in to the school and learn magic was an affront to him because he was he was he he had that supremacy type scenario of that's not what we need to do. We need to keep ourselves away from them so that we can harness our powers and be more powerful than them and survive. Uh, so Essentially the book and the people who wrote the book basically said that Salazar Slytherin made the Chamber of Secrets to because of what was happening in the history of the world. And that's why we're even here to begin with. And that's why this thing even exists and why Harry's even having to deal with it is because of that separation between muggles and, and non magic and magic folk. And I thought that was just like, wow. Mm -hmm. I can barely put a story together myself and I just don't know how like writers like this can just take all that in mind and just create a story like wow it's crazy it like blows my mind that all of this stuff was considered maybe not too thoroughly maybe she went back and added a few things here or there but it was considered from the very beginning because she made Salazar Slytherin create the Chamber of Secrets she wrote the purpose of wanting to only have purebloods—he uh, only wanted purebloods to be in in the in in the in the school,
3: yeah—and
1: and, and all of this stuff. She she wrote that down as all part of the story, and she had considered those ideas, even though they may have been expanded after the book came out and stuff like that. It still was considered, and I just like it blows my mind that it can go that deep sometimes. When when you're taking this all into consideration, you're kind of just going, "Whoa, that's crazy." So, anyways, that was just one of my mind blowing things I got today. Was I was reading? I was yeah, just like, authors mm-hmm. are
0: really special people to come up with all these worlds and histories and characters and backgrounds. It's great
1: that flow yeah. really well too. Just like. Mm -hmm. Oh, and apparently I learned, according to the book, uh, Nicholas – I want to call him Nicholas Flamel. That's not what it is. Nearly Headless Nick, his death day party is what fans started the timeline for everything else uh, going forward uh, because it was like their first official date she gave. Uh, So they based his 500 death day party – as like how they created the timeline, so f- f- when Wait, fans his 500th
2: started, death day,
1: yeah, because mm-hmm. in the chapter they're celebrating his 500th death day, but they show that he died October 31st, 1492.
2: Huh, I always I always notice that date, and I wonder if she did that date on purpose. Probably the, not but, the the month and the year the year I mean. Yeah, but like. fans
1: took that and figured out like approximately the founding of Hogwarts and like when Lily and James died.
2: The Hogwarts founders founders did that a thousand years ago though. From 1492. A thousand years ago from when the books were written. Isn't that what they said?
0: Let's get lit.
2: Let's get go- <laughs> feel like 500 <laughs> years is not very much. No.
1: Nicola nearly headless nick died 500 years from the No, I day. I know
2: that. No, I understand that. I'm just saying for the whole timeline for for the whole Harry Potter world.
1: Yeah, but that they used that as the key point and then figured everything else out. They filled in the dots from that date. They basically created okay. the timeline from that information she gave them because it's the first official date they gave. Hmm. So they were able to figure out when she revealed, like, how long ago Hogwarts was founded. They were like, oh, take Nicholas, um, Nearly Headless Nick's death date, subtract that, do some math, and then boom, we have an approximation of when Hogwarts was founded.
2: I Hogwarts thought you were saying that
0: 990 AD.
2: Okay, yeah. I thought you were saying that they—that everyone is saying that his death date was the first, the oldest date that's ever been talked about in Harry Potter. And I'm like, what is happening no, no, right no, now? No, no. no. Yeah, that makes more sense. That's, then.
1: Yeah, that's not what I was saying. So glad we cleared that up. I'm sure. Yeah. It was just the first official date that she put in writing that they were able to build a timeline off of and figure out what year James and Lily died and what year Harry was born. And like, that's how we get all these years and dates and stuff. It's kind of cool. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. All right. Meeks, you do have a salute.
2: Um, yeah. My salute is um, nearly headless Nick. Just that com- the whole, Really, the conversation between him and Harry, I think it's really, um, even though it's a uh, sad content and stuff and it can be kind of humorous, I think it's really sweet that you can tell that Nearly Headless Nick feels like he has a bond with Harry. He probably, I think a lot of the ghosts probably feel like they can't really talk to the kids very much. Um, like the kids don't, aren't interested in talking with them. And I think that Nearly Headless Nick can tell that Harry Harry will take the time to talk to him, and um, and then when nearly (laughs) this Nick saves Harry from Filch's office, I thought that was so cute, and again, just kind of furthering the like a little character building moment for Harry. Um, you know, that was like a a relatively small thing in the whole scale of the Harry Potter universe, but um, it like it means a lot more than what it might have seemed like in the moment. So that's my salute. Man, like,
1: nearly headless Nick mm-hmm. probably felt bad that Harry got mm-hmm. caught. And so that's why he, he he got, he employed Peeves to do this little trick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the whole idea of it was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of like, oh, that's nice of him that he did that. You don't get to see a lot of that in storytelling sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I saluted Nick as well because he comes back a lot throughout the series too and this is kind of the first time that we really get to see this relationship between Harry and him develop and um, start to solidify in a way and when I read this chapter I was reminded of in book five uh, when Sirius dies Harry goes to find Nick to ask him about like becoming a ghost and you know, to go and ask somebody why you're a ghost takes a lot of, um, you don't just go up to any random ghost and say, how do you become a ghost? So to have that relationship have, um, you know, it's already been formed that he feels comfortable going to seek out Nick at that time. And to see that start to form in this chapter from the moment Nick asks him to come to this party because it would mean a lot to him Harry comes um, and then Nick saves him from detention and just kind of start their relationship uh the next few years and to see the different kind of pivotal moments in their relationship
3: yeah wow That's so sweet
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we're all going to cry now.
0: <laughs> no, it's. I mean, it's really touching when he goes to find him in book five. And um, this is the start of that yeah. relationship.
1: That's what the TV show needs to do.
0: Oh. Yeah.
2: yeah. They really need to and not cut moments. out any of this stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: So before I do my Weasley salute, I figured I should do some honorable mentions. One. <laughs> The uh, little joke that J.K. Rowling put in about Wood not having his feelings or his excitement about Quidditch being dampened, even though they were practicing in a very torrent rainstorm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That was kind of a fun joke. <laughs> I was just like, dampened? Oh, I got that. I, got, I see you, J.K. <laughs> <I> see you. <laughs> and then uh, Fat Fryer, Uh, you know, with my conversation about the ghosts and stuff and, and all that, I kind of just wondered to myself. What is the Fat Friar so sad about? Because he's like the happiest ghost out of them all. And like, what's keeping him here? And it just made me a little bit more sympathetic towards the Fat Friar. I hope he's okay, Mm -hmm. even though he's not real. (laughs) 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 I still, I still have sympathy for him. Uh, But those were my, those were my honorable mentions for sure. But this, the this Weasley salute has to go to Filch. His character. Surprisingly. Oh. I Weasley saluted Filch. That's weird.
3: <laughs>
1: the oxymoron of it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I was very well impressed with like how deep she went into kind of like showing the reader that who Filch was and why he's so cranky. And, he, you know, he's he's a guy that, that can't use magic and he wants mm-hmm. to. And he sees all these kids who inherently have something that he does not. And they're doing stupid stuff with it. Yeah. They're off playing jokes and they're off playing pranks. And they're being kids. Like you can't wrong them for being kids. But to him, it's a gift that he can't cherish. Mm -hmm. And he can't enjoy. That he really wants to. And he sees it in a completely different right. Whereas everybody else who has it sees it as this normal everyday thing for them that they can just do. And yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's just like, it's like the rich man versus the poor man. The poor man envies what the rich man has, but the rich man doesn't pay attention to it because it's just a normal everyday thing to him. He, he, he's just like, he's got an abundance of it. He's not worried about it. He's not paying attention to it. But the poor man envies that because he understands how important it is. And so it's just like it's the same thing for Filch here. And so and it's no wonder he's so grumpy. It's no wonder why mm-hmm. he doesn't like kids right now. It's because all he sees is a bunch of 11-year-olds to 17-year-olds who are just doing the like stupidest stuff with their innate gifts that they've been given and not cherishing what they – probably couldn't have had uh at some point um i wonder if it's even possible if a wizard can lose magic lose the ability to to be able to use magic uh that would be a very interesting topic of conversation uh if they don't use it if if they don't use it does it go away is it a thing Uh that you have to work on and build or is it just innately there all the time i don't know but yeah. the point is, he, we we get a, a good insight on him, and you can't help but feel a little bit bad. Yeah, is he a jerk? Totally. Uh, he does some pretty mean stuff sometimes, but you can't help but sympathize with his plight, and that's what Harry's doing. To the point that he's just not, I think he even forgets about it. Uh, he's going to tell Harry and Hermione about it, but then something happens that distracts him, and he's kind of just like, that's it. And he never holds it against him. He kind of tries to be nicer to Filch moving forward cuz he understands the situation and and all that stuff, but he, he he he's his eyes are opened and the person who is causing havoc for people isn't necessarily causing havoc anymore. And so it's it's more of a just like he understands and he sympathizes. He's not going to try and walk on his toes anymore kind of scenario. He's going to try to be a little bit more sympathetic towards, towards Filch, especially when his cat's about to get petrified.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I just thought that that was a very interesting, uh, yeah. interesting thing that was introduced in this thing. And I was just kind of like, man, sorry, Filch.
0: Yeah. Filch Those kids <laughs> They're all really great characters. She just, she does really well-rounded yeah. characters for sure.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, he, he takes it too far because there's other squibs in the, in that world that don't turn out to be basically evil, <laughs> but, um, but it's under, it's totally understandable why he would, you know, maybe he was already really insecure and he already had troubles growing up and didn't have a great family around him or whatever. And then he's a squib and then it just keeps getting worse and worse. And so it's understandable that he would have turned out that way
1: what makes him a great character is like, you can understand how he got from point A to point B mm-hmm. now. And that's what makes him good. It, what he's doing isn't good. Like Dolores Umbridge does not do good things, but she's a good character because we understand her motivations and we understand why she's doing the things that she's doing. And that's what mm-hmm. makes her a very complex, very idealistic, interesting character that captures our attention. And it's the same thing. She does the same thing with Filch and, of all, of all people, like most people probably would have been like, they're just the Henri caretaker and you're supposed to think they're Henri because they're Henri, and this is how they act. And we're never going to figure out why they're just in the background for comedic relief. That's how some stories are written. And yet she takes this time in a seven book series, probably never even go deeper than we did in this chapter ever again, and give us an opportunity to understand why Filch is Filch. Do we have to like his actions? No. He probably could have chosen better things to do with his nice. emotions. But he, he's, he he is who he is because of his circumstances and the choices that were given to him and what he, he's chosen to do with them. And that what makes him interesting now is because we understand how he got from point A to point B. And we understand his motivations. And we understand why he gets angry and why he's always yapping at kids and why he wants to hang them from the ceiling with with their his manacles and stuff like that. It 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 makes him more interesting. And now we can go, oh that's why. Makes sense now. So that's that's what I want more of from the TV show is just these opportunities to to see characters like Filch get those moments where this probably would be like a 10, 15 minute scene. And once we get that, we go, Oh, that's some character growth for that character. And if we never get any more out of that, I'd be fine with it because we got some more out of that. than we would, we, we did from the movies. We never get that from the movies. We never get to see that side of filch. It's teased in a deleted scene that doesn't exist <laughs> until, we, <laughs> until we discovered it but that's it like you don't they don't explore any of it and he's just this ornery little caretaker that does whatever he wants and we never get to see that side of him anymore so I just you had to salute that so sorry for talking your ears off but <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what you're here for James <laughs> Any final thoughts?
3: I think I'm good with my stuff.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time we will be discussing chapter nine, the writing on the wall. And this is about uh, minutes 42 uh, to 48 of the film. I have a typo there. So, uh, just watch the movie. You'll be fine. <laughs> James, where can <laughs> folks find you?
1: You can find me at James M. Beltran on TikTok or Instagram. Uh, and that's probably about it. Yeah.
3: And you can find me, Megs, mainly on Instagram at M-E-G-A-N underscore L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all my other
0: projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcdee, that's M-C-D-E-E. And you can find the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Gapfest. It first, firsties. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And please, 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 please leave a five-star review. If you are mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Gapfest. If you have any feedback, leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409 Gabfest, Or you can email us at keavsgabfest at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash keavsgabfest. Until next time, Michael Versties.